Well, some of you may have grown up in homes like mine. When we got up on Sunday morning, there was no question we are going to church. It's just the way it was. And this is the days before you had children's church or you had Sunday school simultaneous to worship. I remember keeping myself busy. I, I was pretty good at doodling. I could fill in all the O's and the E's in the bulletin uh, and, and then count and see which, uh, which letter won each week. But I look back now and I'm so appreciative of dad making sure that we got to church. And, and I, I hadn't thought through how much dad had to work to make that happen. Dad was an air traffic controller, which meant he had a rotating shift. He worked a different shift every single day and continued to change over, which meant that he had to intentionally switch some of his Sunday morning shifts with someone else to make sure that we got to church. I especially admire him because I look back at the challenges my mother's mental issues provided. There were some Sundays that she was not in very good shape. He would still do everything it took to get us to church, and he'd insist on most occasions that she go as well because he was afraid she might get reclusive if she did not. And now, as I think through the difference that that made in my life, to realize that I was being placed in the midst of very faithful people, it was so critical for my faith development, but also my personal development. Uh, how helpful it was to have people uh, each Sunday uh, offer the grace of God. Their Sunday school class especially understood the circumstances of our family, and every week they'd always check up on me and see how I was doing. I, I remember many times having an arm put around my shoulder and asking, Jerry, how are you doing today? The only regret I have about my father is that he was from a family in which men didn't talk about feelings, or they talked about spirituality. Anybody else have that kind of situation? That just wasn't done. And, and I, I'm not sure how well Dad integrated and incorporated what we talk about on Sunday morning. I don't know if he fully understood the, the element of grace. I, when he would share a blessing before our meals, he would recite that prayer so fast that I still can't repeat it to this day. And I don't remember ever seeing dad praying besides those times before meals. I don't remember my dad opening a Bible, and we never talked about what happened that Sunday morning. But still, just the fact, even if it was out of a sense of duty, that he got us there made such a difference. It was so important. Now, I hope you can then appreciate why I have a passion for community whether it's Sunday morning or UMW Circle or Thoughts on the Rocks for the Men or now growth groups, those have been so important for me in my life and I've just come to believe how much God can do when he brings people together in his name. Now, when we did our Fruitful Congregation survey and evaluation process, we uh, found out a statistic when we did our demographic research that in Hamilton County and the area that surrounds us, the average committed churchgoer, at least how they describe themselves as a committed churchgoer, goes to church on the average 1.7 times a month. 1.7 times a month. Now remember, that's not just 1.7 out of 4. There's 4.3 weeks in a month, right? And because of that, our staff has made several kind of adjustments to try to deal with that reality. Uh, we've made sure that we announce key announcements at least three weeks in a row or an action response that's important. We try to put that three weeks in a row just to hope that we catch everybody that's going to be popping in and out uh, during a month. 
We also make sure that we've got the sermons now up on video on the website, so you can go see them anytime. We now have the Noblesville First app that gives the podcast that you can listen to things on your car, on your phone, whenever you want, all to help you be able to stay up with the series and continue with whatever we're talking about on Sunday morning. We put the faith first, not only in your bulletin, but also on the website. So again, you can access it. If you miss Sunday, you can continue with that theme by reading the scriptures that are related to it. We started Thursday evening worship so that if you miss on a weekend that you can come Thursday night before you take off for your plans. All of that to try to help accommodate that reality. And here is the challenge. The challenge is how do we impact people's spirituality? We can lay it out there as much as we want, but ultimately it's up to them to drink the water. So how can we influence someone's spirituality if they're only coming 1.7 times a month? How do we offer the role models for our children to grow in their faith, to experience the wisdom that comes from faithful adults when they come 1.7 times a week? So that's one reason why we're starting growth groups. They provide the most flexible means of getting a group that's small enough to plan their schedules to meet regularly enough that they can experience real community. They also are easier to manage because leadership don't have to be biblical scholars. You don't have to put lots of content and curriculum in their hands. We just have to train them to be facilitators because their job is to get people together and get them talking, and we rely upon that collective wisdom within the group to find the answers that they need. And growth groups offer that great opportunity to establish a safe place where people can share themselves, be accepted as they are, and to be able to establish that, that situation of grace so that you can share that, that, those struggles that you have, that you confess the things that we struggle with in life, that you can be yourself and, and know that the grace of God is real. You know, we talk about grace all we want on Sunday morning. But there's nothing like sharing that ugly part of yourself and then afterwards having people embrace you as you are. So growth groups are a great, great opportunity. Now this scripture that we shared today I, I think should be the foundational passage for any kind of growth group or Bible study group that wants to be serious about people's growth. It says so much about the importance of being together and what we're trying to do, what our purpose is whenever we gather together, whether it's Sunday morning worship or in some kind of a smaller group. We don't really know for sure who wrote the book of Hebrews. There's been a lot of guesses throughout history, but we really don't know for sure. The best guess is that it was probably written first as a homily or a sermon that was shared more than once, and then eventually written down, perhaps during the reign of the Roman Emperor Domitian from 81 to 96 A.D., Domitian was responsible for the second greatest persecution of Christians in that first century, which means that the people that were a little reluctant to get together, that were neglecting to meet together, did so not because of their schedules being so busy or because of priorities maybe a little confused. They didn't get together because they didn't want to be turned into the authorities. And so it's easier to make excuses. But the writer of Hebrews presses on, and it tells us how much the earliest Christians did not fear death. They believed so much in the resurrection of Jesus Christ and in their own resurrection that they were bold with their faith. They were willing to take that chance of meeting together. 
of being caught sometimes as they met in the catacombs. Because as they did so, their faith was strengthened. The passage talks a lot about a confidence that we have. And that confidence is not based on our own knowledge or on our own achievements. That confidence is based upon the sacrifice of Jesus Christ on our behalf. And then the cleansing that takes place in our inner hearts through the sacrament of baptism. That confidence causes us to be bold with our faith. And then it shares this passage. It talks about, let us consider each other carefully for the purpose of sparking love and good deeds. That, that word sparking is an interesting one. It, it can also be translated provoking or stimulating or stirring up. And when I thought about that verse, a person came to my mind. I, I assume many of you know Skip Peck. Skip's in our choir. Um, I noticed Skip all over the place on a Sunday morning. Matter of fact, I, I, I've been told that he frustrated Mary Ressler <laughs> and, and survived that because he found it more important to greet people before and after service than spending time practicing the anthem that they're going to sing on Sunday morning. Now, I'm sure there are others that do it as much as Skip, but he's so tall, and he's always still got his choir robe on because he hadn't gotten back to the choir room because he has so many people he wants to see. But he's out there stirring up love. I got a quick chance to chat with Skip Wednesday night. I asked him, how many people do you think you actually talk to on a Sunday morning? And he had no clue, but I would put that over or under number at about 30, if not more. Many times he has his grandchildren running around, but he gravitates towards younger people in general. And somehow that touches me because it kind of reminds me of the kind of people my children used to adopt as their grandparents and the congregations I've been a part of. It reminds me of those people when I was growing up in my home church that would put their arm around me and ask how I was doing. That's an important ministry, provoking, stimulating, stirring up love and good deeds. And then there's this verse, the 25th verse. It's interesting how it's phrased. A common English Bible says, don't stop meeting together. The New Revised Standard says, don't neglect to meet together. And you notice the phrasing? It's as if the default mode is that we should be meeting together. It's, it's just common sense that we have to meet together. It's essential for us to grow together in our faith and to encourage one another. Now, worship seems to be less important, as we mentioned, 1.7 times a month. And certainly there are people saying more and more they don't need organized religion, which I always want to say, so you like disorganized religion? We hear this phrase a lot, I'm spiritual but not religious. And I get that. I mean, I, I understand there's been a lot of people in the name of God who've done some things that really abuse the faith. There are people sometimes that get so hung up on doctrinal truth that they become judgmental and think everyone else is going to hell. They don't believe exactly the way they do. And even sometimes I myself, with the size of this church, do get tired of the business end of a church. But when I walk around here during the week, I see so many things happening that are so exciting. I was here Monday night painting in the, in the great hall and I saw hundreds of scouts and their leaders all over this building. They're working on their merit badge achievements and 
and I hear them talk about the things that are necessary to get that rank of Eagle Scout. I've been told that this scout troop has one of the highest percentages of scouts that enter in and finish out as Eagle Scouts. It's great stuff. I noticed a women's Bible study that, that's studying the life of Moses. On Tuesday night, we had three different disciple groups, all with their Bibles open, reading the scriptures and applying it to their lives. On Wednesday, I, I got to listen to the choir as they're perfecting their contributions to our worship, not just their anthem, but the little things that help put us into the presence of God and feel that in our spirits. I also had a conversation with someone who wanted to know how we could encourage the congregation to pray for a colleague who's about to fast for 16 straight days to raise awareness about what proposed legislation could mean for hungry Hoosiers. Thursday night, a week ago at South Harbor Clubhouse, we had men gathered to make themselves better men. We had our grief share group here on Thursday night as people were supporting one another and bearing one another's burdens. I don't know about you, but that's a lot of spirituality, don't you think? That's a lot of spirituality taking place. Maybe they'll allow us to call it organized spirituality. Can we get away with that? And then just one more verse. Galatians passage tells us, bear one another's burdens, and in this way you will fulfill the law of Christ. It, it tells us that the spirituality in the community, it's not just about what we get out of it. It's not just about what we need to grow in our faith. It's that you have a ministry to other people, just like those people that supported me in my childhood, just like Skip Peck stirs up that love with others. That if nothing else, by you coming on Sunday morning or leading in some group, you are encouraging someone else's faith. You're helping to bear the burdens when you shake that hand, when you ask that question, when you inquire about how life is with them. Don't neglect to meet together. Bear one another's burdens. That's what community means. Aaron? On Friday, my dad and I did a little project at his house, and uh, we were replacing a microwave oven that sits over top of the oven or the stove, and, and uh, neither one of us had ever done one of those before. So we had a friend of ours named Walt on the phone as a backup. So he was you know, wedding, waiting with a breathless anticipation for our call. Um, but after we started and two hours later, uh, we finished the job and uh, there was no cussing and there was nothing broken. It was amazing. Um, and, but we called Walt anyway and my dad talked to him first and said, hey, Walt, hey, it went really just the way you told us it would go. No problems. Everything just went together. Great. But yeah, we're glad we did this thing together because it would have been hard for one person, but Thank you for all your, your help. And then Walt asked to talk to me. And Walt uh, knows me from a long time, too. He's been a family friend of ours for a long time. And Walt is the kind of guy that always focuses on other people first. Like almost to the extent that you can't even tell, ask him questions about himself because he just keeps wanting to know about you. Uh, you ever met anybody like that? Well, anyway. And uh, so he went in that, that vein for a while and was asking me about my family and what was happening at at the farm and here at the church and, and how my ministry was going and all these kinds of things. And then finally I did slip in and ask him about his family and he told me about his, 
uh, so out in Oregon and some other things. And anyway, and then we came to the point where we were finished with our conversation. And he said something which initially struck me a little odd because this isn't something that guys usually say to each other. But he said this to me. He said, you are a lovely person. Well, I'll just put this in a little, build a little picture for you. Friday's my day off. So I had a hat on. I hadn't taken a shower. So I probably didn't smell all that lovely. Um, I hadn't shaved, so I didn't look all that lovely. And um, before that morning, uh, when my daughter was getting ready for school, uh, we kind of got in a little argument about something silly. And so I wasn't really very nice to her before she went off to school. And so I wasn't feeling all that lovely. So when he said this to me, it kind of took me aback a little bit. And then he said, I'm so happy to hear how God is at work in your life and in your ministry. And as I reflected on that, um, a poem came to mind, and it's a funny named poem. It's called St. Francis and the Sow. Hey, you can look it up, but it's poet Galway uh, Cannell. And, uh, anyway, it's, it's a good one. And uh, there's a line in it that's the important one that I want you to hear. And, and that loveliness, you know, you're a lovely person. That's what triggered this in my mind. Um, the line from the poem says this. Sometimes it is necessary to reteach a thing its loveliness. Sometimes it is necessary to reteach a thing its loveliness. And we need other people around us to make that happen. Because God already thinks you're lovely. You're one of his creatures, one of the children that he has created. So to him, you are already lovely. But sometimes we forget um, that loveliness and we need others to remind us. And that healing comes in relationship. When we meet with others, we enter into the joy of mutuality. And we, were, we are all reminded of our loveliness. And, you know, we all sometimes need to be reminded of that. We are called to remind each other of the truth of who we are as children of God. And we belong to God. And we belong to each other. So we hope that these can be places these growth groups or other groups that I hope you already maybe have uh, where people do remind you of your loveliness. I hope that these can be places not just where we bear, bear one another's burdens because sometimes those burdens are great, but it's also a place uh, we recognize the loveliness in one another. And as our On Eagle's Wings lyric says, you know, make you to shine like the sun. Because sometimes our burdens make us kind of dim and dull. And when we recognize that God is at work in our lives and the lives of others, and there is a beauty of life, uh, then we can begin to shine again. So I encourage you, uh, if you have a group, continue and remind the people in that group of their loveliness once in a while, even if it's awkward. <laughs> it sounds funny in your ear. And if you're not, maybe do uh, give growth groups a try. Let's pray. Gracious God, we thank you that um, sometimes we are reminded of our loveliness. 
Help us not to be embarrassed by that fact or push back on that fact too hard, but instead embrace it as a gift from you and from the one who spoke the word to us. Lord, wherever we find ourselves today, help us to know that we can be in relationship with one another and with you, and wonderful things can happen uh, because of this mutuality. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.